lighting our first Advent candle of the year. Uh, as uh, many of you know, we always light one candle leading up to Christmas, and then on Christmas Eve, we light the center candle, which is the Christ candle. candle. But this year, we will not have a typical Christmas Eve service because uh, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday this year. And uh, so, but it is, it is a good tradition as we celebrate each of these themes together. I invite you to take out your connection card before you and uh, fill that out. If you are a guest here with us, we'd love to receive some information that we can give you an official welcome to the church. But on the back, you can request information or leave a question or a prayer request or a, a, a comment, praise report, and we'd love to stay in touch with you in that way. Also, if you are a guest here with us, we encourage you to go to the Connection Central booth, which is in the, in the foyer on, uh, near the entrance on this, on this side here, and pick up a gift after the service, a gift and some information about the church, and uh, we'd love to be able to try to answer any questions that you may have about the church. If we look at, uh, if we look at announcements coming up, uh, we're... First of all, we're notice that this Sunday, or I mean this Saturday at nine, at December 9th at 10:30, is Kakimi's memorial service that's here at the church. Next Sunday we have a special guest here. Junko is a, a singer and songwriter, and she will be uh, participating in the worship service. But then she'll ha- have a concert if you want to. You can stay at 12.30 after lunch. We'll gather back in here, and there will be a concert next Sunday at 12.30. And uh, also, mid-year congregational meeting. This is our second annual mid-year congregational meeting. It's not the same as the meeting that we have in June because there's no voting that takes place in it. This is an informational meeting. It's really an update. We want to be a church that is very transparent in ministry and in things that are going on. And this is an opportunity for those of you that are curious and want to hear some updates on what are ministries that are maybe that you don't participate in. I know last year we had an update on the youth ministry and on the children's ministry, uh, on the college young adult ministry and, and these type of things. And then also we'll just uh, brief you on where we're at financially as a church and just to make sure that we are uh, that we are all on the same page along, along those lines. We had Christmas caroling last night, and that was a, uh, a really good, we had a great turnout, and it was a very good event. So I just want to encourage you guys as you uh, think about even next year, mark that in your minds to come to Christmas caroling. I just am always, I always think there are people there that we are ministering to that they may uh, this may mean much more to them than we really realize. We come in and sing these Christmas carols that they don't, they may, they don't have an opportunity to go to a Christmas uh, service at their church because they're, home, they're bound to their convalescent home. And so we always bring our kids, and I know that they love to see little kids too, and that's a blessing to be able to participate in that. A thank you to everyone who helped out with Pastor Rick's retirement uh, events. We had a great retirement party, and then last week uh, on Sunday, I just think that the things that were done were very appropriate, and I know they really appreciated it. So I just want to say, if you had a part in that, 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 was, that you guys did a great job. 
and that uh, Pastor Rick and Amy and the family really appreciated everything that took place. And now as we are seeking to move in Pastor Steve, some of you knew that we were trying to move him in this past week. He moved out of his home in San Diego and he was supposed to move in Friday. And there was delay and delay and delay and it was all from the lender. Well, they finally admitted what happened was the underwriter was bit by a dog and never got the paperwork in. So that's the delay. And uh, hopefully, we're gonna, uh, he's going to be able to move in on Wednesday. So if you are able to help, uh, come and talk to me. Or if you want to help out with... Their, uh, I know Lil is organizing some people to clean and to provide some food. So is Lil here today? I haven't seen Lil. Okay, so um, Lil, raise your hand just in case people... Everyone knows who Lil is, but just in case... All right, so Pastor Steve will hopefully move in on Wednesday. A few months ago, I sat down to do some sermon planning because I thought I want to be very prepared before Pastor Rick retires. And so I was going to plan out several months, and I, and I started with December, and I thought, okay, we're leading up to Christmas and the Advent season, and what would be an appropriate theme for these messages in December? And I thought, well, let's go with this idea of the, of expecting. We use this word when we're expecting a child, right? You can say so-and-so is expecting. And we're looking forward in anticipation to the coming of a baby, baby Jesus. And so I was thinking, what are some of these things that a family is, uh, expects as they look forward to a little baby that there could be themes that we could relate to the birth of Christ? Well, we expect surprises, we expect blessings. We even expect hardships and maybe some difficulty. And then I thought, surely we expect changes, right? When a little baby comes into a family, you know that a lot of things are going to change. And hopefully when Jesus comes into a person's life, a lot of things are going to change. And so I entitled this first message, Expect Change. And this was long before I began to think this is the first Sunday of since Pastor Rick has retired. And some people are going to be coming into the service today and thinking, oh man, I wonder what things are going to be like once Pastor Rick is retired. And they look down the program and the title of the message is Expect Change. And I thought, well, that's, that may not be exactly what I meant to communicate. And so just to put any nerves uh, at, uh, at ease, what I meant by that was that when Jesus comes into the world, and even he comes into our lives, we ought to expect things to look different. We think about the changes that uh, Jesus brings as we look forward to uh, the celebrating Christmas. When Chelsea and I found out that uh, we were expecting that Chelsea was pregnant and uh, this with our first, who we now know to be Dawson, but I can remember we, we took the pregnancy test late at night one night, and, and it turned out that, yeah, we're, we're going to have a baby. And all of a sudden, we, this wasn't a big surprise. I mean, we had actually been hoping this would be the case, and we were praying that God would give us a child. And uh, so we were, we were looking forward to this with, with excitement, but all of a sudden, it was a, like a reality check. Oh my word, this is going to actually happen. There's actually, though a very, very small, tiny person, but that person is living inside of my wife, and 
The whole night I lay in bed and I'm tossing and turning and I'm thinking, oh man, what have we gotten ourselves into? Everything is going to change. In fact, all throughout the night, just spontaneously, and Chelsea can testify to this because I didn't realize this, but she told me later I was waking her up all the time. Just every once in a while I'd just moan, oh boy, oh man, just all throughout the night. Just thinking, a life is never going to be quite be the same. Everything is going to change. And when we think of the, uh, the coming of Jesus, I wonder if we have that same type of expectation. We know that when a little baby comes into a family that everything changes. But what if when Jesus comes into a family, or when Jesus comes into a person's life, or when Jesus comes into a group of people's lives, like a church, and, and, uh, and, and Jesus begins to take up residence. And do we expect change? And if we do, what kind of changes do we expect to see? Even if we have been Christians for a very long time, do we think about how God is going to continue to change us? Or do we think eventually we just kind of get there and we, be, we begin to just carry on the way it is? What kind of changes do we expect in our lives? When Mary, Jesus' mother, found out that she was pregnant, she went to visit her relative Elizabeth. Now, we're not told in the Bible what kind of relative this was. Elizabeth was quite older, so it was probably an aunt. But Elizabeth was also pregnant, and the Bible tells us that when Mary came to see her, the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy. And Elizabeth says, this is Luke chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. John the Baptist was that little baby in Elizabeth's uh, womb. And John the Baptist was... Jesus' cousin, and he played a very important role in the life of Jesus' ministry. When Jesus was about 30 years old, and he was about to start what we call his earthly ministry, teaching and preaching and healing people, John the Baptist served as a kind of forerunner to prepare the way. And John told people what to expect. In Mark chapter 1, uh, we're given what John's message was. Mark 1, 7 and 8 says, And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was out in the wilderness and he was preaching this message, this, this message of repentance. And people were coming from all over to hear him. He was a very popular preacher. And people were coming and they were hearing his message and they were confessing their sins. And as they did, John would take them down into the Jordan River and he would baptize them. And they had the best of intentions to now live a, a different life. And John says, I baptize you with water, but there is one who is coming who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And that's the phrase I want us to talk about this morning. What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's a very intriguing phrase. In fact, a lot of different church groups understand the meaning of that phrase differently. 
to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And I've really wrestled with this phrase a lot, even personally, because I've been taught various things through the years. And so I've tried to go through the scriptures and I've tried to pray about it. And so this morning I want to talk about what does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Because even though it can be somewhat confusing at times, I think if we understand it rightly, it can have great significance and meaning in our lives. In fact, it can be the foundation for that hope for change that we want to talk about this morning, a change in our own lives and in the change of our loved ones. So we're going to look at some verses along these lines, but before before we do that, let's just take a minute and ask God that he would help us as we consider these things together. Father God, I pray that as we look at your word now that you would speak to us and just touch us in whatever is going on in our lives. And God, we come before you because we know, especially with difficult things like this in Scripture, that many people understand differently. We need you to be our teacher. So we pray that by your Spirit that you would help us in these things. Just give us clarity that comes from you. Protect me from error, that I would speak anything that's not of you, and just uh, help us to know your truth. In fact, your Spirit promises to guide us uh, into the way of truth. And so we pray that your Spirit would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. A number of years ago, I had a class in Sierra Madre, and it was kind of a unique class. It was two weeks long, but we we were at a retreat center all day. No one went home. And so you'd listen to lectures during the day and have discussions and these things. And then in, e- in, then in the evening, we would uh, gather t- together for prayer. And uh, each person over the course of two weeks had an opportunity to be on the hot seat, so to speak. You could request prayer for anything you wanted to. And everyone would gather around and pray for you. A lot of people don't like to be on the hot seat. I love to be on the hot seat. I love to be able to just share whatever's on my mind, have everybody listen to me, and uh, ask them to, for prayer. So I was looking forward to this. I was thinking, what am I going to request to ask uh, people to pray for me about? And uh, I decided what I wanted to pray, because this, this was going on in my life at the time. I had several people in my life that were talking about this idea of being baptized with the Holy Spirit or receiving what they would call a second filling of the Spirit. And so I... I'm, I'm a very open person like that, even though I didn't know these people that well. I, just, I said, this is what I want to ask you to pray for me about. And I sat down in the chair, and everyone laid their hands on me, and they spent time sincerely praying that I would receive the baptism of the Spirit. And uh, when they were done, I'll be honest, I was kind of disappointed because I thought I was going to have some sort of like major reaction. I don't know exactly what I expected, but I expected something to feel different. And I didn't sense that anything felt different. And so I went back to my room that night, and uh, I was feeling disappointed and frustrated and even a little bit upset. And with all of these emotions flowing through me, again, this is one of these nights, I kind of had a sleepless night, and I'm up reading the Word, trying to understand what it means, and I'm praying about all of these things. And at one point during the night, I felt like the Spirit Gave me, a, uh, gave me a word that spoke to, to me to help me get some insight. But, uh, but as I'm wrestling with these things, I'm going back and I'm reading the Scriptures. 
In fact, these are some of the things I want to talk about this morning. I'm wrestling with these questions. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If I haven't experienced some sort of second filling of the Spirit, am I missing out in some way? What does the Bible really teach about these things? So let's look at some of these verses together. The fact the uh, this phrase in Mark 1 is actually the first time in the Bible this phrase is used. Mark 1, 8, uh, John prophesies that one is coming after him who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, if we take this in context, we notice that the larger point that John is making is that he is speaking of Jesus' power and his authority and his sovereignty. In other words, we can summarize John's message as this, that Jesus is greater. He says, verse 7, After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. In other words, he says, I'm not even worthy to get down on my knees in the dust and to tie these, this man's sandals. Jesus is so much greater than I am. And I think that's a good place for us to start as we look forward to Christmas. To remember who we are worshiping. To remember that we are worshiping someone who has tremendous power and authority and sovereignty. You see, sometimes if we look forward to Christmas, we can get mixed up and we can forget who this is all about. And all of these fictional characters are fun. You've got Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus. They're kind of, they seem to kind of like rule over Christmas, right? And then you've got Frosty and the Grinch and uh, Rudolph. And these guys, are, these guys have their place and they're good. And then my favorite, the abominable snowman. And uh, all of these characters are fun, but they're really pretty meaningless. When we think of what Christmas is all about, we're actually worshiping one who has tremendous power and authority and, and sovereignty. And that power, John tells us, is going to be made manifest through the baptism with the Holy Spirit. John's baptism was good. People were coming out to him, and with the best of intentions, they would confess their sins and make resolutions to change. But John's baptism really lacked power. And Jesus came with a different type of baptism. He came, with, he, he came as one who was greater than John. And he came with a baptism that would have power in their lives, a baptism with the Holy Spirit. The word baptism literally means to immerse or to soak. That's what the Greek word means, to immerse. And so John's baptism it is easy to understand. It is a water baptism. He is immersed in water. This is what we do when we fill this baptism tank and we have people going and we dunk them under the water. They go all the way under and they come up dripping wet. They are immersed in the water. And if baptism means to immerse or to soak then baptism with the Spirit means that we are immersed or soaked with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is God Himself. And through the Holy Spirit, that is how God comes and He lives in the hearts of every Christian, every believer. And through His Spirit, we are given power, the power to live the life that God has called us to live in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so through the spirit, God leads us and guides us 
in the way that he would have us to go. He shows us the gospel. And then he gives us power to live out the truth of God. And so in light of all of this, this is a conclusion that I think is uh, safe to say at this point. That baptism with the Holy Spirit means that a person's life becomes soaked with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what the Holy Spirit brings, God's presence and God's power. And we have the idea that we are immersed in it. That, this, that when, we are, uh, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive his, God's presence and power. When we baptize someone in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, which is what we say when we dunk someone under the water, it's not just a declaration. It's also a blessing and a prayer in a sense. What we are praying is when we, uh, uh, we ask that they would be immersed in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. And we are praying that God would surround them with all, their whole lives with His presence. In every nook and cranny, may God's power and presence be there. When you go swimming, every part of your body gets covered in water, right? Behind the ears and up into your nostrils, under your fingernails. You get wet all over the place. The same idea in baptism. We get wet all over the place. And if the baptism of the Holy Spirit means that we want our whole lives to be soaked with the presence of God, in our, in our family may we experience the power of God, in our workplace, in our ministry, in our attitudes may they be changed, in the way we use our time, in our money, in our values, our desires, even our hopes and dreams, everything, you name it, may it be immersed in the presence of God. And so it is a filling of the Spirit that is both instantaneous and increasing. It is a filling of the Spirit that is both instantaneous and increasing. It is, first of all, instantaneous in that when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. Did you know that when you first believed in Jesus, that is when God came and took up residence in your heart and in your life? 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? When did you receive the Holy Spirit? When did God come and live within you and you become the temple of the Holy Spirit? When you first believed. Ephesians 1 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation. So when you heard this, you were included in, the gospel, you were included in Christ. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. To the praise of his glory. In other words, when you hear the gospel and you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you are given the, the Spirit, who is like a promissory note that guarantees our eternal destiny with God forever. And this was prophesied in the Old Testament. The prophecies that speak of the coming of the Messiah and the new, and the new covenant speak of Jesus, bring, who, the person that we now know to be Jesus, the Messiah, bringing the Spirit. Ezekiel 36 is one of those examples. I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit in you, and I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and, and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So in other words, when the Messiah comes, he's going to take our heart of stone that's dead and hard and, and cold towards God, and he's going to give us a heart of flesh that is alive and beating and, and seeking the Lord. And he will give us a spirit that will help us to move us to be able to follow and keep the commands of God. And that is the power of the Spirit within us. And so Paul is so bold to say in Romans chapter 8, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. The Holy Spirit is living proof that we are saved. And it happens instantly the moment that you are saved. That is the first thing I want to say is that that the baptism of the Spirit happens instantaneously, but it is also increasing. In other words, it can grow in our lives. Speaking to Christians in Ephesus, Paul says, Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an imperative to pursue this, to be filled with the Spirit. And we could really uh, translate this, be being filled constantly being filled more and more with a growing awareness of God's power and presence in our lives. And so, for example, throughout the book of Acts, it always says that the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that they didn't have the Spirit up until that point, but it means that they received the Spirit in a new and special way for the task that was before them. They're receiving more of God's power to do the work of God. And through that, over time, when we are uh, receiving God's power, over time, whether we realize it or not, we begin to notice that we have a greater awareness of God's presence and power with us. Have you ever been at a restaurant and uh, you have a very good waiter or waitress. And uh, I'm always very conscious of this because I drink a lot at my meals. So I always, I, I judge a waiter or waitress how often they get my cup of water filled. In fact, Chelsea and I, we uh, have a place we go to. We try to go most fr- uh, Friday afternoons for lunch. And the same place every week, we always have the same waitress. She knows that I drink a lot. I walk into the restaurant, and she brings me a whole pitcher of iced tea just myself. That's true. I, I always get my own pitcher of iced tea because I, I hate to wait for a waiter uh, or waitress to fill my cup. And, uh, but, I know a good, but I've been in restaurants, and you're in engrossed in the conversation and you're eating your meal and you reach over to take a glass of, of uh, take a drink of water and you're like, oh man, this got filled and I didn't even know it was filled. And you're happy that, it, that uh, someone took the time to fill it and they were sly about it in a sense. And sometimes in our lives, God works in that way. We might not even know we're getting filled, but we're seeking the Lord and we're involved in his work and God continues to fill us up. One commentator puts it this way, and I like the way he says it. The practical implication is that Christians are to keep their lives open to being filled constantly and repeatedly by the divine spirit. So, so much of this language of baptism and filling is liquid language, so to speak. And Jesus uses the same kind of language 
He talks about there being overflowing water. John 7, rivers of living water will flow within them. And then John, the gospel writer, just to make sure we don't misunderstand, uh, gives his own commentary, and he says, by this he meant the Spirit. So these things grow in our lives. On the night that I uh, was in Sierra Madre, I went back to my room, and I was frustrated, and I was praying for all of these things. As I said, I lay awake a, a, during a good share of the night, and at one point, the Spirit, I had this thought in my mind, and I, I felt like it was actually uh, the voice of God to me in that moment. He, says, uh, he said, Corey, was not my first gift of the Spirit enough for you? I thought, I thought that, that seems like that is of the Lord. Corey, was not my first gift of the Spirit for, enough for you, that you, that, it's not, that you are not to go on seeking these things? And so these thoughts were in my mind. The next day during the uh, class, we had a break in the class, and the professor was there, and so I went and I talked to him for a while, and he was very, he asked me several questions. I told him what I was th thinking and feeling, and then I felt uh, I should share with him what I thought the Lord told me. And I told my professor, uh, this is what I felt like God saying, that isn't his, the first gift of his spirit enough for me? And the professor looked at me and he says, that's right. That's God's word for you. And I received, very, uh, I received a lot of comfort at that time with that word. But, there is, but I learned two things since that moment. The first thing I noticed was that after that time, at least for a season especially, it felt like when I prayed for someone that that prayer had a certain sort of power that I didn't sense up until that moment. Oftentimes people would react emotionally and, and, and tell me that they really felt God's presence as I prayed for me. And so I thought, well, maybe there is a change here, that there is a growth and an increasing. And the second thing I learned was I actually read a, a, a short biography about the person that was my professor. And what I learned was he had an experience which was, would be what a lot of people call a second filling of the Spirit. And I thought it was very interesting. He didn't tell me that at the time. He said that what God told me was my word, but what I realized that maybe what God's word for me was not God's word for everyone. And so oftentimes when I am talking to people about these things, I realize that my experience might not be everyone's experience that others may have experienced the Spirit's work in their life in different ways than I have. And so I don't question all of these things. But I realize that God works in each person's life, and maybe in different ways, maybe even at different times, so that God uh, empowers people with His presence and with His power to carry out the work that God has called them to in whatever they are going through. But in light of all of that, I have become convinced that these two things, I think, are universal for each Christian. One is that there is an instantaneous gift of the Holy Spirit when we are saved. I think that that is true for every believer, that we can have confidence that God is at work in our lives. And the second thing is that the, Spirit's work can, uh, that the Spirit can grow in our hearts and in our lives. So do I believe in a second filling of the Holy Spirit? Yes, I do. But I also believe in a third and a fourth and a fifth. And I don't mean that sarcastically. I really do believe that in 
uh, in the life of a Christian believer that God that God's word will continue that God's spirit will continue to grow in us and for that reason I believe that we can over the course of our lives no matter if we're a brand new Christian or we've been a Christian for a long time we can expect changes that God will continue to work in our hearts to move us to become more and more like him as we prepare as we prepare for communion I thought I would uh, read a little bit from a book that Rick Warren wrote called The Purpose of, Christ- of Christmas. If you know Rick Warren, every book he writes has to have the word purpose in it. And so the, what is the purpose of Christmas? Uh, the reason I ra- read from this, because I actually think that this is a good application of our message today. He talks about in, the, in a chapter called Salvation is Freedom. He talks about how we can be transformed as we receive Christ into our lives. And he gives us five points. I'm going to ask Andrew to put these on the screen and then just leave them there during the whole uh, time that we have the Lord's Supper together. Because these are good things for us to meditate and to think on, to praise God for what he has provided for us through the cross, and also to offer prayer that God would help us to continue to grow in these areas. The first thing he says is that we are freed from guilt over our past. Guilt is the mental price we pay for violating our God-given consciences. God's forgiveness is far more important than your mistakes and sins put together. So you can get a clean slate. That's freedom. Even if there were no heaven or hell, which there are, the gift of not having to carry the heavy load of a guilty conscience every day is wonderful. So we receive the freedom of guilt over the past through, through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and then through his work of his Holy Spirit in our hearts. Secondly, we are freed from bitterness and resentment. Undoubtedly, you have been hurt by what others have said or done to you in the past. We can't control what others do to us, but we can choose how we respond. Resentment is a is a cancer of your emotions. Unless you allow Jesus to free you from it, it will eventually destroy your happiness. A freedom from bitterness and resentment. Thirdly, to be freed from expectations of others. How often have you said or done things you didn't want to do simply because you didn't want to avoid the disapproval of others? The antidote of, to feeling disapproval is to build your life on the foundation of God's unconditional love for you. Love liberates. It is a confidence builder. The Bible says there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made in perfect love. So through the cross and through the coming of Jesus, we are freed from the expectation of others. And then fourthly, we are freed from addictive habits. You have probably figured out by now that good intentions and New Year's resolutions are not enough to make you break free from destructive, self-destructive patterns and routines. You've tried, but you inevitably reverted back to old ways. God never intended for you to go through life on your own power. He wants you to trust in Him and depend on Him. So we meditate on these things, that God has freed us from addictive habits. 
and pray that God would continue to give us by his spirit's strength power over those things. And finally, he has freed us from the fear of death. If you accept what Jesus did for you on the cross, your eternal destiny will be secured and you'll no longer fear death. The Bible says, Since we, God's children, are human beings, made of flesh and blood, he being Jesus became flesh and blood too by being born in human form. For only as a human being could he die and in breaking the power of the devil who had the power of of death. Only in that way could he deliver those who through fear and death, fear of death, have been living all their lives as slaves to constant dread. So as we think about communion, and we think about all of the reasons that Jesus came and died on the cross, we we think of the salvation that he brought, that he freed us from all of these things, all of these things on the screen. And I just invite us that as we have a quiet moment in the sanctuary, as you hold the cracker in your uh, fingers or the cup of juice between your fingers, you have an opportunity to thank God for the cross and to thank God for the salvation that he has brought and he has brought us freedom from all of these things. And maybe we continue to pray for the presence and the power of God to continue to increase in our lives, to break us more and more uh, from, the, from these habits and these mindsets that we can live into the life that God has called us to live through Jesus. So I invite the usher to come forward now.